God, thank you that you are in this place, that you're a king who walks among his people, that you're not distant, you're not far away, that you're near. And so if you're here and you're near and we don't hear what you have to say, I don't think it's on you. Oftentimes, if I don't get anything out of it, it's usually because I was the one who chose not to listen to you. So God, I just, I, I, I don't want to miss what you have to say today. So we, we pray that we could, we could center ourselves on you. We could turn our affections to you. We would open our, our ears to what you have to say. And that, um, And that, God, you change us. That, God, when we leave today in just a few moments, after, after we get through here, then when we walk out those doors we walked into, we would be a completely different church because we had a very, very, very real and challenging and changing experience with you. That's what we expect. You're the God who can do that, and we, we expect you to do that. We ask you to do that. We plead for you to change us. Change me, God. Transform me into the image of your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, again, glad you're with us. Again, I don't think it's an accident you're here. I think God <clears throat> wanted to show you something, wants to show you something, and, and he's got you here for just a time as this. We are in the last week of a series we're calling Will Call, and it's been a series all about the will of God, all about the call of God. Last week we talked about the gifts of God or from God that he gives to us, and what we discovered the very first <clears throat> excuse me, the very first week of this series was that God's will is something we, we struggle with, we, we, we search after, we kind of try to decipher, decode a lot of, but I think what, what it is is that what we've seen through scripture is that God's will is the same for every single person in this room. It's the same for you, for me, for the seven million people in this city all outside of us. And, and here's what God's will is for us. We discovered through walking through Scripture, this is what the will of God for humanity is. It's to worship God by being transformed into the image of His Son and to make disciples. Right? God created you. That's the why. God's will is why you are here. Why all of us are breathing is because God created us to worship him. And he, got, he created us to worship him. And when we worship him, that means we're in his presence. And when we are in his presence, we are beginning to be transformed into the image of his son and closer to who he desired for us to be rather than who we were whenever sin started to form us into something we weren't supposed to be. And because of that transformation and that change, people start to take notice and we start to engage in these intentional conversations and intentional relationships. And the Bible calls that discipleship. That's why you're here, to reflect that transformational glory into the world around you. That's why you're here on this earth. And so that's the will of God for all of us. And so then we started to talk about the call of God. But So maybe another way to think of that is that if that's the will of God, we're all a part of that same will. The Bible calls that we're a part of the body of Christ. And so within the body, there are very specific parts of the body that have a very specific purpose. And that's the call of God specifically on your life. Your call in life could be to be the elbow in the body of Christ. 
or it could be to be the lungs, or it could be to be the kneecap, that it all serves a purpose, it's all important, it's all crucial and vital to the body operating at its maximum capacity. And then last week we talked about the gifts that God gives us to help accomplish that calling. If you could pull up the circles diagram from, from there, that would be great. That kind of shows you where we can be, where we're trying to aim as a people, right? So we talk about how you're, you're, whenever you are living within God's will for your life, whenever you're living within the call that he has placed on you, whenever you're using the gifts that he has given to you, right here in the middle, you see where those three circles intersect. That's your destiny. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about a destiny today. And that seems like such a, a far-fetched, maybe even mystical idea, but I think it's something a little bit clearer than that. And I think whenever you can, you can think of people, you, you, you know whenever someone is operating right within their sweet spot and their destiny, right? Like for me, I was destined to be a male model. That's why I'm kidding, okay? But the point is whenever you see some, that was a really bad joke, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Lord, please forgive me. Anyways, um, when you see someone operating within their gifts, whenever you see someone operating from within their calling, and staying within God's will for them, that's when you see them doing what it, exactly what it is they were created to do. Right? You know, Mike was always close to a swimming pool growing up. He began swimming when his two older sisters, Whitney and Hillary, joined a local swim team. In fact, Mike was always kind of chasing his sisters. Whitney, his, his sister, tried out for the U.S. Olympic team in 1996 at the age of 15, but injuries kind of derailed her career. At the age of seven, Mike was still a little bit scared of putting his head under the water. So his swim instructors allowed him to float on his back. And so, not surprisingly, one of the first strokes that Mike figured out how to do was the backstroke. A few years later, he met his coach, Bob Bowman, when he started training at the North Baltimore Aquatic Club in the Meadowbrook Aquatic Club Fitness Center. Bob immediately recognized Mike's talents and also his fierce sense of competition and began an intense training regimen. And by 2000, Michael Phelps became the youngest American male swimmer to compete at an Olympics Games in 68 years. And so... What, what we see in Michael Phelps is someone who, who has the drive, the tenacity, the gifts, the, the, the just raw talent to, to accomplish amazing things. You see, look at the things that this man has accomplished. He has 28 Olympic, Olympic medals, 23 of which are gold. He has 39 world records. That's the mo- and all of those together are a record because those are the most in all time of the modern Olympics era. Simply put... This man is the greatest competitive swimmer in history. I want to read to you and just kind of give you an idea of what it's like for Michael Phelps to be, a tra- to be training. Okay, During his peak training window, he trains for five to six hours per day, six days a week. And the minimum that he would swim per day was 50,000 meters, okay? That's long. I don't know if you've ever realized that, okay? The minimum he would swim. 
during his six-day-a-week, six-hour-a-day training regimen will be 50,000 meters, okay? That's not how long his races are, by the way, okay? He would train more than that. He would practice twice a day. He would take a little bit of time to eat. And speaking of eating, during his peak training regimen, he would work out and consume a daily diet of 12,000 calories per day to fuel his ridiculously intense training sessions, okay? Just for reference, a normal person, adults, recommended caloric intake is 2,000 calories a day, okay? You can Google and see his training diet. It's just it's basically an entire grocery store for a meal, right? It's just, it's crazy. It got to the point where, like, it's just not even fun to eat after a while, right? I can't even imagine 12,000 calories. But he had such a competitive drive, and he had such great coaching, and he had the world's top athletic trainers and nutritionists around him and pouring into him and giving him these advantages. But that's really... A lot of what set him apart, but there are also some other things that allowed him to be the greatest swimmer in the history of the world. And it has nothing to do with coaching. It has nothing to do with nutrition. It has nothing to do with competition. It's just who Michael Phelps is. And what I mean by that is physiologically who he is. Can we go to the next slide? I want to show you this. Okay, this is Michael Phelps. There's some things that are just not coachable. One of the reasons that make Michael Phelps such an amazing swimmer, number one, he is six feet four inches tall, which according to most swimming coaches is the optimal height for a swimmer to be. I didn't know that. But the interesting thing about Phelps is if you are to measure him from his torso, he has the torso of a man three inches taller than that. His arm length, his wingspan is actually three inches taller than his complete height. If you measure him from his torso down, he only has the bottom half of a 5 foot 10 man, right? All of these are crucial because his shorter legs provide for less drag through the water. His knees are double jointed. His feet, his ankles can can bend at a 15 degree point of angle. He has a size 14 shoe, okay? So good luck finding shoes anywhere in Hong Kong, Michael Phelps. It's just not going to happen for you, okay? But the point is this, is that his bottom half creates less drag. His feet are long enough to provide even more of a push. And his top half provides more strength than someone his height should. Simply put, physiologically, Michael Phelps was destined to be a swimmer. That's just how he was created. As I was reading these stats to my wife this week, she pointed out, you know, you don't have very long legs either, and you're not a very good swimmer, you know? But I I, I love her anyways, okay? But the point is, is when you see all of these, these, these factors, you say, well, of course he was destined to do this. Of course he was destined to do this. And, and I, I have to tell you something. God has, has something that, that he is destined to you to be a part of as well to where if you are if you have the guts just like the man we're going to see today if you have the courage and the obedience to step into that 
years from now, whenever, whenever, you, whenever people are talking about you, whenever I'm trying to make bad jokes as an intro into talking about you in a sermon, people are going to say, well, of course they were destined to do that. Look at what they've had to go through. Look at what their life has prepared them for. And I think we see that in, in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to look at a man who stepped into his destiny today. In Genesis chapter 12, just four verses today. We're in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And this is a story familiar to you if you grew up in church. If not, it's a story that you will become familiar with as you surrender to irresistible grace. And it's a story of a guy named Abram. And that's where we see him beginning in Genesis chapter 12. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. Verse 3. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Then verse 4 says, So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot with, with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And then he goes on to tell he brought his wife and, and, and his family with him. But the point is that is this, is that I think we see lessons through just these four small voice, verses today that speak on the destiny that God has planned for us. God had destined Abram, if he stayed within his will and he used the calling that God had placed in him and used the gifts that he had given to him, he would be something amazing. God would do something amazing through his life. And I think we can see that if we start to look at it. I think there's four things we see through this that, that, that God uses us to reach our destiny. And the first is this. Your destiny is going to cost you something. It's going to be costly. In Abram's case, look at verse, verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. If we step into God's calling and into our destiny as people, it's going to cost you something. Abraham had to leave everything he knew for the promise that he couldn't see. Everything he knew for the promise he didn't see. And here's the interesting thing too, isn't it? It doesn't say, and I checked in multiple translations this week, is that it doesn't say that the Lord called to Abram, leave your native country, hang a right at Jerusalem, make sure you go around this mountain, I'll give you a Google map step by step, here's where you're going to go and here's how you're going to get there. It just says this, God just said, hey, I want to do great things through your family but I need you to leave the comfort of what you know for the unknown with me. Abram had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where he was going. He had no idea how he'd get there. He had, all he knew was that God had promised him something. And I wonder what that thing is that God has promised you. What is the thing that God has promised you that if you step out, he will take you to? 
Too often, we try to, we, I think we ask God for too many answers whenever he's, he's not concerned about so much the, the destination in our life as much as the process, right? Too often, we're so focused on the finish line, we miss the, the journey that it takes to get there. You see, what's interesting is later on in Scripture, this story is referenced. And, and it talks about how it was credited to Abraham at that time, Abraham, this time it's Abram, but because he, he had so much faith and his life was completely changed, God had to change his name because his old name didn't fit him anymore. But by the time he became Abraham, it says later on in Scripture that this very act of him leaving was credited as righteousness. God credited, him as, credited as righteousness to him. It doesn't say that when he finally got to where he was supposed to be, did it? It was just, God wants you to engage in the process. Too often, we think of destiny as the finish line. When God wants us to consider it our process, our journey, too often we're focused on the finish line. We're not focused on the race. But it's going to cost you something. And oftentimes, it doesn't make sense God's destiny for you does not make sense. You think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. That seems easy, but then it says, lean not on your own understanding. That means trust God whenever it just seems insane. That's when it gets a little more difficult, doesn't it? Trust God whenever everybody thinks you're going to be crazy. Trust God whenever the math doesn't add up. Trust God whenever it doesn't make sense. Put yourself in the sandals of Abram. He spent 75 years of his life establishing a really good life for himself. He had land. He had livestock. He had home. He had, he had a family. He didn't have children yet. He had a wife. He had pretty much everything we're trying to get, isn't it? And God literally said, give all that away and then come follow me into the unknown. And that seems like something that maybe perhaps a 20-year-old or maybe a 19-year-old on a gap year from college could do, right? But not somebody who's 75. It's 75, you're supposed to be slowing down. And that's why I love that God used Abram. Because it, to me, it says, if you are still breathing, there's still a chance for you to do some amazing things. You know, we've talked before about how so often we bought into the lie about retirement that it's the, the, your last chapter on earth gets to be your easiest coasting chapter, right? They call it your golden years where all you get to do is golf and collect seashells and, and do what you want to do and, and swim a lot, right? And, 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 and it's as if we, we've bought into the lie that our last chapter on earth before we enter into glory gets to be our most selfish, and I just, I don't see that in scripture. I don't see that in Abram's life. It seemed like the, one of the hardest chapters of his life, leaving everything behind. It costs you something. It costs you something. See, as you walk with Christ, it's going to cost you something. You can't have it both ways, folks. You can't have what you want a lot of times, and you can't have what God wants to give you at the same time. You can't have everything. Abram couldn't keep everything and leave everything. It just, it just doesn't work that way. 
You can't have it all. When was the last time you left an all-you-could-eat buffet feeling really good about your choices? Ever? I've never walked out of a hotel buffet thinking, yeah, I made some really good health choices right now, right? It's like, really, we don't need it all, do we? At what point in my life did I accept it an all-you-can-eat buffet? Do I ever think, you know what would be really good to wash down all these crab legs? Chocolate pudding, right? Terrible, terrible idea. But you can't have it all. You, You can't have a fit physique and eat all you want. Unless you train six hours a day like Michael Phelps. It's going to cost you something. Your destiny is going to cost you something. But, whatever you give up, whatever Abram gave up, he got back way more, didn't he? I mean, thousands of years later, we're still talking about this man. Thousands of years later, we're still talking about his simple act of jumping and expecting God to catch you. That's what faith is. We say it all the time in this church. Faith is not an excuse to be passive. Faith is not sitting back and letting God take care of all the work for us. Faith is God calling you to the edge and saying, jump, child, I'm going to catch you. And we do, and he does. And that leads to the second point, is that God will fulfill your destiny. God will fulfill your destiny. We see that in verse 2. Genesis 12, 2 says, when God speaks these things to Abram, he says, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I, I, what I love is that there's such a confidence in God's voice there, isn't it? You don't see where it says, and if everything works out, and, and you know, if, the, if, if just you get lucky, and you, you, you just hit it at the right place, you might become a great nation. There's such a confidence in God's voice. He's making it clear that he would accomplish his part. He said, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And you know, and while there are daily disciplines that we need to do in our life, you can be rest assured that God is faithful to complete the work that he began in you. I love the message. The message is a a translation of scripture. um, And I think it it captures this perfectly. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 of the message, it says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. God will fulfill his, his, his promise in your life. It oftentimes doesn't happen in the circumstances or oftentimes the timeline that we want but it always happens in his timing. God is never late and God is never early in his timing. He is always on time. Third thing, your destiny is not for you alone. And this is a big thing. 
we oftentimes think that whenever we are living in our destiny, that all of a sudden our, our platform will be elevated. We live in such a, an, an egocentric world today where it's so easy to gain followers for taking a picture of yourself and your meal at every single, at every single meal, isn't it? And we, we, we judge our worth and our value off of how many people are following those pictures on social media. How many people like that picture of, of, of dim sum from lunch? How many people like where I've gone on vacation? Like that builds into our self-worth, and that's not the case. Your destiny, if you are living within those three circles and following the destiny that God has planned for you, more often than not, your platform will not be elevated. God's platform will be elevated. Your destiny is not for you, child. Your destiny is to increase the kingdom of God on earth. Through making disciples, it's not for you. It's not for you alone. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, once you give your life to Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. Not only do you change, but as a result... Those who know you and those who are in your family, their lives can begin to change too. There's many of you in this church, you're, you're the first generation of Christian in your family. You're the first generation to believe in the saving grace of Jesus in your family. And that means generation after generation after generation after you're gone have the, have the, have the opportunity for their lives to be blessed. Your family may be sidelined and riddled and crippled by addiction, by, by wounds, by hurts, but the healing power of the cross can cancel those and for a new generation have a glory to be unexpected. Or for maybe for many of you, you're not the first generation of believer in your family. You are receiving the blessings of the pioneer of your family to grace. You are where you are today because of the blessings of those who've been obedient to God and lived within their destiny for years before you came. But the, the, the point is this, is that your destiny is not for you alone. You see, when Abram said yes to God, he changed the destiny of his family and the rest of his generations to come. And I believe this, my prayer for you this week has been this, that through you, Many will come to Christ. If you're living in the middle of those three circles, if you're living within God's will for you, within God's call for you, using God's gifts to you, many, many, many people will come to know Jesus. The thing is, we may never see it. God has made us no promises to see that harvest, but we all play a part in it. All play a part in it. And the fourth thing we see is this. And this is the, the big thing. Your destiny is your choice. You know, at the beginning of Genesis, it talks about how God created man in his image. And I think that too often we, t- we limit what image is based on our limited knowledge of what image is. I think, what I believe at times is that 
when God says, let us create man in his image, it means a lot of things. And one of those things is choice. What I mean by that is that God has placed us, placed within us the ability to choose. We can either choose what God wants for us, or we can choose what we want instead of what God wants. Right? When we choose what we want instead of what God wants, the Bible calls that sin. When we choose what God wants for us, that's called obedience. And that leads to a life of blessing. And what I mean by that is this, is that if God has given us that choice, whether to follow him or not to follow him, that means that God has the ability to choose as well. And the amazing thing is, is that God will always choose you. God always will choose you. There's never been one person who's ever walked this earth that cries out to God, God, forgive me, God, save me, and God said, no, I don't think so. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. All of us are planted within us that ability to choose. So child, you get to choose today. Are you going to follow God and stay underneath his will for you? Use the calling that he's placed on you. Use the gifts that he's given to you to accomplish his purposes through you in this world. Because his destiny will be fulfilled. Whether it's through you or not is up to you. Again, I've said it before, the reason why we can see these stories of Abram, sometimes it's, it's so easy to lose sight of, 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 of context, and, and you can almost th- be lulled into this idea that Abram was the only guy around whenever God asked him to leave. And so the story and the character go, the character and the story goes, sure, I'll go. But we, what we don't know is this. How many people, the only reason we know the stories of Abram, Moses, Noah, is because When God said, do this, they said, yes. We don't know the thousands and millions of people that God said, hey, I want you to leave everything behind and follow me. And they said, I don't want to. We don't know those stories, do we? Stories we know in scripture are the people who said yes. So the question is, When God comes to you and says, are you ready to do this? Are you going to say yes? Are you going to say no? His his purposes will be accomplished. Whether or not you're a part of it is up to you. So when he comes to you and he says, I want you to do this, Imagine it this way. He's inviting you to be a part of the privilege of his redemption of this world. He's inviting you to play a part in the redemption of the world. And it is not a burden for you. It is an honor. It is the greatest honor that you could ever be given to be invited by God to be a part of God's work in transforming and renewing all things in this world. 
is being offered a seat at the table of the king. Why would you say no? Why would we say no to that? It will cost you something. It's cost me and my family everything. But can I tell you the secret? You get back so much more than you give up. We don't have a house with a yard and two dogs and two cars anymore. But we get to be a part of this amazing spiritual community that we would have never been a part of in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We never would have gotten to meet you and become friends with you and pray with you and laugh with you and cry with you. And that's worth more than any square foot house could ever be worth. I never would have gotten to meet some of my heroes and, and most, and so many of you in this room are my heroes. People like Louis Al. Louis, you're one of my heroes. Louis wasn't here last week at church. You know why? Not because his alarm didn't go off. No, it's because Lewis, while our church was meeting, was taking his grandfather to church for the very first time in his grandfather's life. And that's, that's a good story, but it gets even better. He took him to Shem Shui Po, and his grand, his I hope it's okay I'm sharing this, by the way, okay? All right, but you'll, you'll just give me grace later, right? But Lewis's grandmother's church is in Shem Shui Po in an old walk-up. And so the reason why Lewis had to go and help his grandfather get to church. It's because he had to carry him in his wheelchair up flights of stairs so his grandfather could hear the gospel. And Lewis, I would have never heard that story if we hadn't stepped out and left. Thank you. Thank you for your obedience. Thank you for your faith and for your love for your grandfather. God will bless it and will redeem it. And we as a church are going to pray for your grandfather. We'll celebrate whenever he comes to know Christ. And I could, I could spend the rest of the day telling stories of why each of you are my heroes. And I am. No, I'm kidding. But the point is that it, it, how, could, how could I ever consider being a part of Lewis's life, not a reward. How could I ever say that there was something better than hearing stories and being a part of someone's life who's willing to carry his grandfather up a flight of stairs in a wheelchair so he could hear about Jesus? And that's just one story. Each of you has these amazing stories in your life. Each of you has all these amazing things. There's so many reasons why there's so many of my heroes in this church. And so, if it came down to it, we'd do it all over again. Absolutely, I'd do it again. Because being a part of this, with you, is the greatest privilege of my life. Whenever you're living in the middle of that circle, it'll cost you everything. But the rewards you get are infinitely better than anything you could earn on your own because God takes care of his kids. God takes care of his kids.
Read on this week. Continue to read on through Genesis 12 and 13 and 14 and, and start to see more of the amazing things that God did in Abram's life and through Abram's life. Start to see how God rewarded him and blessed him for his obedience. God wants to bless you too. God has blessed my family and I with, the, um, with more of an adventure than I could ever imagine. Because, I, I truly believe this, because we said yes to God, we've been able to give our kids a life that I've never experienced. My, child, my oldest son is eight. He has more stamps in his passport at eight than I did at 27. Because we stepped out and we sold everything and we gave God everything, we've gotten to give our kids the adventure that I never got to even dream about as a child. And as a dad, how could I not be thankful for that? How could I not be thankful for that? I didn't, that didn't cross my mind, though, whenever I was 33 and God said, go. But that's the reward that God gives us along the way. So the question today is, you know what God's will is for you. It's to worship him by being transformed into the image of his son and reflect his glory into the world around you. The next question is, what's his call for you? What specific purpose within the body of Christ has he given you? Maybe he's blessed you as a bass player. Awesome, let's get you a bass. Maybe he's blessed you with a burden for refugees and asylum seekers. Oftentimes, can I tell you a secret? Oftentimes, your calling is what annoys you the most, right? If you're just annoyed by the sound mix in this church, it may be that God is calling you to be our sound engineer. You know why it bothers you? Because God's put that burden in you. Maybe it bothers you that we don't do enough for the Mandarin-speaking community in this area. Maybe God is birthing something in you. Maybe that's your calling. Oftentimes, again, it's not what, what we see and love. It's what we see and go, oh, why are they doing that? Maybe you think our website looks awful because you have a history of web design and graphic design and you think, golly, they could do so much better. Hey, guess what? Maybe that's God calling you to help us redesign our website. Maybe you have a heart for domestic helpers and you say, they've got this space that's open all the time. Why don't we use that for this, that, and that? Great idea. Let's help you accomplish God's calling. So what is your calling? And then the next question we talked about last week, what are God's gifts that he's given to you to help accomplish that calling? And again, a lot of times we get so focused on what the actual gift is, we forget that the purpose behind the gift, we saw according to Scripture last week, is, the, is to strengthen people's faith. To build into faith the family of God. To strengthen people's faith as they walk this spiritual journey out. So as we bring it all together, Where are you in those three circles? Where, if you had to kind of plot yourself, where would you be?
want you to ask God that question. I want us to spend a couple moments for, for you and God to kind of hash this out. This is kind of a lot to take in over the course of, of four weeks. It's, a, it's kind of a heavier teaching because it, it asks you so much to reflect and apply into your life these principles. Just take a moment, I want you to ask God, God, where, if I had to plot myself, if I had to put a dot for where my life is right now, where would I put it on, the, on this chart with these three circles? <laughs> 